Hi, I'm Michael from Pasadena, California. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to donate to support the show, thereby joining the cool crowd, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio It's the Sound of Young America for MaximumFun.org. I'm your host, Jesse Thorne. This week on the program, the veteran character actor Jeffrey Tambor. Here he is in his role as the patriarch of the Bluth family on the cult series Arrested Development, alongside his son, played by Jason Bateman. You know, I parked in the same spot for the last five years. I was there on time every single day. I was so loyal. I worked so hard. Why didn't you just put me in charge? Michael, listen to me. These guys, the SEC, they've been after me for years. I put you in charge. You're going to be wearing one of these orange jumpsuits, too. Could help You'd you be an accomplice. No. It had to be your mom. They cannot arrest a husband and wife for the same crime. Yeah, I don't think that that's true, Dad. Jeffrey Tambor, it is so, so exciting to have you on The Sound of Young America. You. Welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you as, uh, for dressing up. Oh, well, hey, I told you, I do it for everybody, but if Jeffrey so Tambor dre- is going to be here, I'm not I, messing around. I appreciate that. You dress up every day? Yeah, absolutely. And, and not if, like, I'm not going to see anyone oh, at see. all in my day. Like, once in a while, I'll make it to, like, 1 o'clock in my robe because I work here in my apartment. But I, I'm reading this uh, uh, wonderful uh, book written by Susan Cheever about her dad, John Cheever, who was arguably one of the great writers of our generation. And uh, when they were living on the east side and he had nowhere to go, uh, he would dress up every day in his suit and put on his tie, and he would go down in the elevator with everybody as they were going to work. But he would go down to the little office that was right off the super thing in the basement, and he would write. And at the end of the day, he would put his jacket on, get in the elevator, and go back up to his apartment. There's something to be said when you, like me, work in your house mm. for having doing something that signals that business is starting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also, when you're inviting, when you're inviting someone over into your house to be right. interviewed right. to show that, it, uh, that I'm not just a, a creepy guy who's going to kidnap no, I, I like that. I start my business day by taking a hammer and slamming it on sure. my, my fingers. Well, it gets you pumped. Well, it starts. This it can only get better. Right. <laughs> sure. I mean, I, I understand absolutely. It seems like the it would be diminishing returns, yeah. though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm happy to be here. Um, it's a pleasure to have you. You're a native San Franciscan. Mm-hmm. That's one of the many reasons I'm excited to have you on the program. Because you are from? I'm a native San Franciscan myself. Really? Where, where in San Francisco did you grow up? I grew up on the avenues. Uh, I think it was uh, Noriega, something at 14th and Noriega or Ortega, one of those. You know, they're all in alphabetical. Uh, and then we moved around. But my formative years, we, we lived in a, a place right opposite San Francisco State College. And uh, there was a theater there. And uh, I used to go over and um, watch them rehearse, these 90-year-old men. In in retrospect, uh, they were 16- and 17-year-old freshmen, but they did the scene study class. And I think that's when I, I got hooked. On how, how old were you? Eight. 
what do you know at eight? I knew it was exciting. I, I didn't like what they were doing so much as when they would stop and they would talk about it and they would take it apart and put it back together. And I went, my, what is, what alchemy is this? And for some reason... You probably use the word alchemy, too. I use the word alchemy in a conversation as much as I can. It's starting at age seven. You had learned alchemy at seven. Well, my middle name is alchemy. And that's, <laughs> I'm sure. A tambor. <laughs> so, uh, but it was interesting. It was, it, was, it was good. These guys, and they asked me what I thought. I mean, it was eight years old. And I said, well, what kind of people ask you what you think? You lived your teenage years in a San Francisco that was sort of in between the beat San Francisco that people imagine and the sort of flowers in their hair. Exactly in between. I actually hit the latter part of the beat. I mean, I remember going down to City Lights and going for a coffee and they were still snapping their fingers and, you know, bongos and reading beat poetry. I lived that. Um, I missed actually the entire drug revolution. I missed it entirely. The whole thing? The, the, the whole the whole schmear, as they say in, in New York. Yeah. You just mentioned San Francisco State College, now San Francisco State University. Yes. Um, that's where you got your bachelor's degree. Did you think Did you think when you uh, were done with high school was like moving away and going somewhere else? One of the possibilities? Um, um, I knew I was going to go to that school because they had the, arguably one of the best drama departments around. I, 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 this will get you. Uh, my education, that sem first, each semester was $48. <laughs> <laughs> which is lunch now uh, around the corner. Uh, uh, and uh, that would, I mean, I think my books cost more than my tuition. That was one of the great things that uh, Governor Reagan did, actually. Uh, it's kind of embarrassing, but because I can think of my teachers kind of rolling their eyes when they see this, but I, I've just been made uh, into the Hall of Fame. Of San Francisco State? Yes, I'm going to be installed in the library. Alongside like I a Willie Brown? Yeah, not not in my picture. I am actually going to be installed <laughs> as a sort of like one of those Lincoln Which they're things. Actually, you know? They're paying you $48 a semester. $48. I'm going to be like a, one of those Lincoln things. Remember at Disneyland? With yeah, like a Hall Land. of Presidents type yes, situation? Yeah. So that, I thought that was kind of funny because I can remember certain teachers who would say, Hall of Fame. Hey, Hall of Famer. <laughs> but no, I had I had the greatest education. They were, and San Francisco was a, as you know, that then was a magical city. It, it was. Um, I didn't know any other city would be like that. I, you could go downtown. Uh, you could go to North Beach. You could have a, a spaghetti dinner for a dollar, and then go to Los Flamencos de las Bodegas, and uh, it was. And I thought it was like Paris. Uh, uh, it was. I thought. Uh, I thought all cities were like that. They're not. It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is character actor Jeffrey Tambor, best known for his work on The Larry Sanders Show and Arrested Development, as well as in innumerable movies and even in a starring role of the Three's Company spinoff, The Ropers. Your first TV credit, as I mentioned, Kojak, you were w well into your 30s at that point. I was 35. What were you doing between college and hitting the screen? Well, I'd like to go back to that Kojak sure. experience because uh, I had five lines. I played a coroner, and it was my first experience on film. And uh, we had to stand out by, at Grant's tomb. And the camera froze. It was the coldest day on record so in, in New York. In New York City. Uh-huh. And uh, I had these lines, and 
the camera malfunctioned and I had to stay out there. I didn't have a, a second or a stand in and they fixed it and we stood there for about 20 minutes and they called all the all actors, all the other actors out of their warm dressing rooms. And when they said action, my mouth had completely frozen. <laughs> it, it, I was like a talking anus. I was. <laughs> and they said, cut. <laughs> Print, and that, if you look at that, you can see, you can see these bulging <laughs> eyes of a man saying, inside, something is terribly wrong, and my mouth not working, and going, <laughs> and they said, cut, print, thank you, and they gave me a, a place to go downtown and loop my lines, I, uh, the audience, uh, that means you redo them, and uh, that was my first film experience. You quickly sort of made your name with Three's Company and The Ropers, yeah. and it sort of established this uh, pattern in your career of going back and forth between very sincere authority figures, doctors and judges and lawyers and that kind of thing, and sort of uh, buffoonish comic people with uh, who who have high status maybe inside their own minds but maybe not quite as much outside of that um had you done a lot of comic acting before you started working on all these sitcoms yeah i mean i mean mostly did that i have always had sort of a humorous bent uh, i think i had it I, I had it as sort of a defense mechanism when i was growing up and then i had i it turned into a sense of humor i needed to make people laugh so i, I had a lisp when i was a kid i talked like this sort of an homage to gus gus and cinderella you know cinderella cinderella i talked sure. like that and so when you talk like that you have to have other devices to uh give you a little time because people you know say what well listen to this ha, wait say that again you know and so i had to develop some sort of thing to give me a little time a little response time in life and and make it, and the laugh always sort of Gave me that time. And then later I realized I had a sense of humor. It's weird. But I, I often wonder about that. I mean, the same year that I did Injustice for All, I did The Ropers. And I kind of went, what's going on here? What is that? What is the Jekyll and Hyde of that? In Yiddish we say vaft. It means going back and forth. But uh, I thought that was a bad thing at first. And I thought there was something terribly wrong with me and I, my career planning or something like that. And then I realized that's the two aspects of of Jeffrey. What, what's the difference in the tone between the straight characters that you play and the comic characters that you play? Because they don't feel that far apart from each other. Well, I think me. you answered your, your own question. I think there is no, I play it. I mean, for instance, Hank Kingsley in, in uh, the Larry Sanders show, I thought was a very serious character. And I, I approached him very seriously. And people would say, you know, he's a, an ass, a buffoon. I never thought never thought that it, it, it actually sort of hurt my feelings and i went what is the perception here because i thought i, I thought different of him uh but um i think that's the only way to play it is down and dirty you know in ballet there's sort of a, a you know before you leap you have to have a plie and if the actor has to ground all that it's the sound of young america i'm jesse thorne my guest is the wonderful brilliant character actor jeffrey tambor Tambor worked extensively for 20 years in Hollywood, starting in the late 1970s, but he really made his name as Hank Kingsley on HBO's critically acclaimed and groundbreaking 
Larry Sanders show. You know, Hank, I was just uh, wondering why you say that hey now thing. What do you mean? Well, it's just something that you used on the show, and now you're starting to use it in your personal life, and, and, and it's an affectation of some sort, isn't it? Did you ever say hey now as a, as a kid? No, I don't. I probably didn't. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I, uh, I said uh, hey. Yeah. And I said uh, now. Right, I mean, right, at sure, different sure. times. I but see. I, I, no, I never put them together till later in life. Uh-huh. So, in that sense, it's, it's, uh, it's part of my personality. You know, Hank, this isn't easy for me, but uh, would you mind not doing it on the show anymore? Because, uh, frankly, I'll wait, tell you the wait truth. A Are you telling me that when you yeah. do your, uh, you do you do this, that yeah. isn't uh, the same affectation? That isn't the same as my, hey now! There, you just said it again, and, you know, I asked you not to say it. <laughs> I can't say it off stage either? It doesn't even exist. Use hey now in a sentence, Hank. Uh, hey now, that was real funny. You know what, Hank? It's not even in the dictionary, hey now. Okay, okay, this is this is how I use hey now, in, in a sentence, okay? You say, and of course, my sidekick, Hank. And of course, my sidekick, Hank. Hey now! Hank, that's a sentence. How did it come to you? Let me start there. I was testing for something, I believe it was at NBC... And this gentleman that I was uh, uh, reading for uh, said, you know, this is not a really right for you. You're, you're wonderful. He said something nice. But he said, my friend is Gary Shandling, and he's doing this uh, show. And uh, I, would you mind if I called? I said, no. So the next day, he called him. And the next day, the script for... Um, my mother called it the Hank Kingsley show. The <laughs> Hank Kingsley show uh, came, and I saw it, and I, I, you know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's four or five times in your life where you go, I, I, I know who this is, and I, I knew him immediately. I, whether I could play him uh, was not the point, but I, I, I recognized it, and I loved him immediately. And the first episode was called um, Hey Now where he actually explained why he said, hey, now. So I went in. I'll never forget. I left my house about two hours before, and I, I, I drove around, drove around, and I, I read with Gary. Francine Maisler was the casting director, and I just let it fly. I, I, I just let it fly. What's odd is that audition is on DVD. It's on the um, – he, he did a – recently the a DVD, uh, a hit, best of collection best of. and my audition is there i remember he called me when i was in italy and said do you mind if i and i said absolutely go ahead but what's so odd about that audition is that it's not very far from what i ended up doing did you watch it yeah i did what did how did it strike you that i went you know this is very odd be, because I must have known what this guy was all about because when I did film it, usually when you audition, you just give them, you know, uh, a taste. You don't know anymore. But I knew a lot about this guy. Hank was very real to me. So I think Hank came to me. We were both 40 years old, and we both uh, came to each other's life at the same time. I actually believed in I believed in him. There are four or five times, ten maybe, at, at, in a career where you go, I know this I want to thank you for the kind words uh, you said on the air tonight. 
The sentiment really touched me. I'm glad I could help out. Are you? Hank Kingsley was a character for folks who ha- haven't seen the show or, or re- don't remember the show particularly well, who played um, Gary Shandling as, as Larry Sanders' sidekick on the program. And he was um, he, he was a character who, who was, you know, I, I was tempted to say dim, but, but not quite dim, more just kind of uh, uh, a little bit desperate and very driven by emotion. And, uh, uh, and and kind of a, uh, a little bit of fear. And he was a little bit sad, um, but also immensely lovable. Like literally, I mean, I, I say this not because you're across from me, but like my most beloved television character of all time. Really? Yeah, absolutely. God's own truth. Um, you said that you felt like you knew him or, or you got him right away. What was it about him that you felt like you knew right away? Uh, how sensitive he was. He's overly sensitive. Uh, how ambitious he was, how... His ambitions far outstripped his <laughs> skills. <laughs> yes, uh, which he didn't know, and I think that was one. And how just childish he was. I mean, that he was a child. Uh, and I, I I, have those things. I, I'm I'm so sensitive, it's ridiculous. I've, I've had to battle that my whole life. Uh, and so this was a, an opportunity, which is wonderful for an actor. You get to use the very thing that has been plaguing you the most. And I, I put it in him, and I, I did think he was sad. I, I my one of my favorite memories, and it's not the, my f- best performance, but one of my favorite memories about a choice that I made with him was one day a small scene where they invited him because someone had dropped out of their card party that they have on Wednesday night, and the line was "Thank you," but uh, Hank cried because. He was invited. So that's either egregious overacting or connection with the role, whichever whichever we choose to call it. You you had had, you know, a, about as successful period of, of 10 years of acting as you could have as a character actor working really consistently mm-hmm. uh, over the course of 10 years before you got that part. But did you ever... One of the things about acting is that you're you're always asking someone for a job. Um, it's did, so interesting that you're talking about that. Did you ever feel like? Did you ever feel like you could relate to Hank's sort of his sort of fear of being left on the outside? Oh my God! Oh my, sure, absolutely. That's one of man's. I think man's biggest fears is that he will be rejected and and that he will be, have no value. Uh, hence, the comedy begins. We do great things to be loved, don't we? Uh, um, uh, and uh, he would do anything to be loved. Um, convert to Judaism. Convert to Judaism, <laughs> and, and also possibly because he might get he might get to host the Chabad telephone. The Chabad telephone, <laughs> and and try to hook hook up with the rabbi. He proposes to the female rabbi. But what's interesting about him is that the first time he gets a, a hate letter, we remember the beginning was dear dear I think dear Jew Jewhead. <laughs> <laughs> that on that on that salute in the letter he took his the the yarmulke came right off so. he's out of here sorry dude it's not worth it's not worth enduring a nonsense insult i love him the rabbi's coming here isn't that great hank i'm happy for you you know i've worked for your people a long time they run this town they run it a hell of a lot better than the agents thank you 
That's so very kind. Why don't you do us all a big favor? Just keep it to yourself. Why? Because this is television. We're just trying to entertain people, and morality's just going to get in the way. Oh, I'm sorry. I think you're overreacting. Okay. Well, let's put it this way. You got people in an office discussing religion. It separates them. Now, you take our little group. Phil is a Buddhist. I didn't know that. That's exactly my point. Beverly is a Christian. Paul is an atheist. But we all join hands to put this show together every night. And I don't want you to f*** that up. What religion is Larry? Larry's a talk show host. Shalom, baby. I was just laughing before uh, before you came over with my editor on the phone about Hank singing "Spinning Wheel" with his band, oh and 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 then blaming all the horribleness of his own lack Absolutely. of singing talent on the band. That would be that would be Hank. Yeah, see, Tommy, I think see right there, you know, I think this, we need to punch it, you know, when I go, ride a painted pony, let the spinning wheel, blah, you know, just you know, punch it with the horns or something. You know, I think I'm just going to sing the bois. I mean, you know, make it like a joke. That's funny, huh? What goes up must come down. Spinning wheel got to go round. Talking about your troubles, it's a crying sin. Got a painted pony, let the spinning wheel blast. Got no money. We'll have more with actor Jeffrey Tambor when we come back in just a minute on The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered. Online at ask.metafilter.com. What can you do for Maximum Fun Awareness? Since we announced our Darkish Teal Ribbon campaign for Maximum Fun Awareness just a few weeks ago... Dozens of listeners have posted the darkish teal ribbons on their websites and pinned them to their lapels. One listener even painted a darkish teal ribbon on the hood of his car. Every time you display the darkish teal ribbon, you're striking a blow against ignorance. Also, you're probably helping out our nation's struggling economy somehow. You can find code to embed the darkish teal ribbon on your website, email, or forum posts. Just click on the ribbon in the sidebar of our blog at MaximumFun.org slash blog. If you want a darkish teal ribbon of your own to pin physically on your literal lapel, just send an SASE to Darkish Teal Ribbon, 720 South Normandy Avenue, number 512, Los Angeles, California, 90005. And remember, knowledge is power, and Maximum Fun Knowledge is the greatest power of all. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is character actor Jeffrey Tambor. Among his many, many other credits is a role as the patriarch of the Bluth family on Fox's beloved cult sitcom Arrested Development. The wedding is in one month. Oh. A month? Oh, no, look, just because a woman gets pregnant doesn't mean you have to marry her. Too many lives have been ruined because some cheap waitress at a hojo said she used an IUD. It was stuckies. But I believed you. 
When you started to do Arrested Development, you didn't expect to be a regular character on the show, right? No, I was guest starring. Did you uh, know Mitch? I know that you, you worked a lot on the Golden Girls. Did you know him from the Golden Girls before I didn't that? know Mitch on the Golden Girls, but I had done a series with Mitch called Everything's Relative, which in a way is an ancestor to Arrested. Uh, so we knew each other. We also lived we uh, lived in the same uh, area, uh, Pacific Palisades. So I would be sitting in the coffee shop, and I would see him going through, and he'd be working on things. And we we love each other. We're, we're like brothers. So I was doing Hellboy two, uh, Hellboy one, and I had just landed, coming back for about a month break before I, I went back to shoot in Prague. And I uh, Mitch on the phone, call me. I called him. He said, Hey, how'd you like to come? Hey, pal. How'd you like to come down and uh, you know do George Senior in a, a, in a couple of days? And I said sure, and so I did, and we had fun and a great great time. And uh, later, um, when it went to series, they asked me to join, and I, I think they gave me the choice of doing seven or seven out of thirteen or thirteen out of thirteen. I said I want to do thirteen out of thirteen. Was it a tough decision? Oh, no. It was one of the great... I've had two experiences like that where I knew it would, I, that this is... Well, they were the two experiences. Right. I mean, they, I knew. I said, this is important. And I'll tell you when I knew. Uh, it wasn't so much working on the set, which was glorious, and working with the great Jason Bateman. It was when I saw the pilot itself formed, and I saw what Mitch had constructed. And I went, oh, this is, this is really good whatever this is. This might be too good. And then I saw Jason's performance at the center of it. And I thought that was the smartest piece of casting and the smartest piece of acting because I said, oh, look what every man is at the center and we are relatable. And so now we can go as far out around him, the satellites. Now listen, we can't just go in there and plead not guilty. We have to have someone big behind us, our own private matlock. So I made some calls and I got him. Got who? Andy Griffith. Yeah, you never saw Matlock. Not a real attorney, Dad. Now, for ten grand, he'll actually sit behind us in court and read the paper. For fifteen, he'll actually sit at the defense table. For twenty thousand dollars, he'll twice lean forward and whisper something in your ear. Oh, white suit, that's extra. Oh, that's an awful lot of money for the stupidest idea I've ever heard. The juries love him. That's just it, Dad. There won't be a jury because we are pleading guilty. I am not guilt. Oh, I didn't want to tell you this. Are you ready for the bombshell? Andy Griffith was in the bombshell? I'm a patsy. I was set up by the Brits. A group of British builders operating outside the OC Don't call contacted me for a partnership to build homes overseas. I did not know they meant Iraq. We've got a picture of you with Saddam Hussein. I, I thought that was the guy who played the soup Nazi. Come on. I told him how much I liked his work. And I, I really do think, um, as good as the cast was, I think the, the star of the show was the show. It was this incredible show. And I think it's more popular now than it was then. I was in, just did a film in Moscow, and people would come up to me on the street, and they were thanking me for Arrested Development simply because whatever they were saying to me in Russian, <laughs> Arrested Development and, was Gyor in the middle of and, <laughs> and Georgi Senior and, and all that was in, uh, it was great. So that's, that's huge.
Arrested Development had uh, such a uniformly spectacular cast. Mm-hmm. Um, were there moments when uh, other actors and scenes, and you worked a lot with Jason Bateman, especially in the beginning, but, yeah. but later on in the series, especially when you were playing uh, George's semi-evil twin brother, um, you, uh, or at least a uh, highly stoned twin brother. There you go. Um, uh, you, you played a lot with the cast. Were, were there moments that you remember that someone else made a choice that, that really, uh, caught you off guard or you thought was particularly, uh, either funny or surprising? That was sort of like the daily, uh, daily regimen there. I mean, they, there's, they, these were all home run hitters. So if you did a scene with David... You know, uh, you just David is, D- is David Cross. David Cross, amazing, is an amazing actor. There was Tony Hale, which I, whom I think created one of the great characters. Oh, it's, it's spectacular! And, and I would always say, and I would always say to myself, these are great. These are great actors. Will Arnett uh, once I, I did a scene with Will Arnett that he put me away, and I don't laugh at anything. He just put me away. And they, when they ta- they kept tasering him, and I couldn't stop laughing because of his reaction. Will Arnett is Will Arnett is one of the funniest people going. Jessica, great. I mean, right? Portia, great. I mean, so the, uh, Michael Sarah, uh, who uh, um, I remember uh, saying to Mitch, I said, this kid loves acting. He would get into a space at the even at that young age, and I would say he. He's. I, I never said he's going to go someplace because I don't talk that way, but uh, he was. He was wonderful to watch. When did you decide that uh, you didn't just want to act; you also wanted to teach? Well, I've been teaching for forty years. Uh, I taught at Wayne State University uh, in 1965. Uh, they brought me there to uh, teach and act in a repertory, and when I, I'd never taught anything, um, and I. I remember thinking that was wonderful. I, I, I loved it. And this is not some altruistic give back. I just, I love doing it. And, I, and it seems to work. I, uh, and I've taught and now I'm teaching over at Santa Monica, the Santa Monica Playhouse. And I have a, a workshop for artists on Monday night. And then I've been doing uh, lectures around the country, uh, South by Southwest. I, this, I'm going back again. This will be my third year. And then uh, coming up here at, in DreamWorks, here in, in Los Angeles on March 20th, we're doing an all-day uh, workshop for actors and writers and um, and directors and all of those. And this is what gets me really exciting. Uh, uh, and for everybody else, because, you know, I'm a baby boomer. And uh, when you're a baby boomer, uh, do you know the f- uh, film um, Bridge on the River Kwai? Yeah, I know of it, but I... Well, I there's this wonderful thing where the Japanese imprison uh, these uh, 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 English uh, troops, and Alec Guinness plays this general, and they, they force the troops to build this bridge, and the uh, bridge on the River Kwai. And uh, Alec Guinness sort of goes mad and builds this wonderful bridge uh, for them. He, uh, and and he has at the end, he realizes what he's done, and he says, Oh, my God, what have I done? He actually puts his hands over his eyes. And I think that's sort of the phrase, uh, I, the baby boomers that I, I see, and, and people in their 30s and 40s who had real dreams and aspirations. I, I see a lot of them going, I started here and I wanted to do this. How the heck did I get here? And can I get back? Is there any technique to getting back? Is it worthwhile? 
and I'm here to answer that. Uh, that's my sort of impulse. Did you have any um, uh, teachers or, or mentors since you became a working actor who who were particularly important in shaping your career? Oh, absolutely. Well, my first or your, or your artistic life. My 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 first teacher was actually in uh, in junior high school. His name Mr. Pravatoni, and I was doing it all wrong and having a lot of trouble with it. Uh, and I remember a, a lady, uh, a lady. She had to be what. 10, uh, said, Mr. Pavatoni, Mr. Pavatoni, he's not doing it right. And I remember him yelling from the darkened auditorium, leave him alone, he knows what he's doing. And I think that's the first time anyone has ever said that to me, ever. And I remember the feeling of that. Uh, and then I had great teachers at San Francisco State College. I had great teachers at uh, Wayne State University. Uh, when I came here, I studied with the legendary Milton Katselis, uh for many years. Uh, and I actually taught there for him. Uh, and then I decided to leave uh, there and uh, go on my own and get give my own. Uh, I've had good teachers. I like that moment when it ignites, you know, when somebody understands something. Even in class last night, I was working with an actress and she finally just understood it. I think it goes back to that first thing at San Francisco State where you take it apart and you put it together. But I think after, if it's a good acting class, I think you're... Your scene is better, and your life is better. And I believe in art, especially now when things are so awry. And I also believe that everyone should get a second chance. There are a lot of people walking around doing, you know, saying, well, what am I doing? Obviously, you're not doing. You're doing your love. I mean, but most people are not. And they have that little secret of, I've always wanted to, dot, dot, dot. And so that's what the workshop is about at DreamWorks. And how do you get, you know, and this sounds all, all fuddy-duddy, but how do you get your true voice? Do you feel like your acting is a unique form of art in that it's interpretive, typically anyway? You're um, bringing to life something that someone else has written or you're uh, performing for a director who has a particular vision. Um, it's almost always collaborative. How do you find your voice, um, your personal voice, in a place where you're expressing you know, themes set out by someone else? Well... There's an adage it's an, in, in acting, you're, you're, you're stuck with the character, but the character is also stuck with you. I mean, I think that's one of the, I mean, going back to, I think that's why I got the role of Hank Kingsley, because I was able, to, in my character, my, in my Jeffrey Tambor-ness, to bring something that no one else was bringing, or that attracted Gary, let's say. Um uh, and I think uh, that that adage is is true. And in that sense, you uh, Chekhov, Anton Chekhov, who was a third baseman for the Boston Red Sox, sure. uh, says, you know, there's a concept. I have a concept. I've written this. You have a concept, sometimes an opposing concept. And that which is created from that tension is art. I mean, as soon as you're cast, the I know you don't like that word, alchemy. Uh, starts again, and uh, I just don't like eight-year-olds saying it. It upsets me. It's just too sorry. Precocious. It was a word I learned <laughs> that day. Hysterical, and so uh, I've always been interested in that uh, in, in, in that magic, that uh, juju that goes on. 
Well, let me uh, ask you this question, and I can't leave you without asking. You shook up. You shook up the internet when uh, you were doing a show at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, and and said something to the effect of, "You were pretty sure." I don't know what you said, but something about the oh, Arrested Development oh, movie. Oh, yeah, go ahead, hit it. Um, so. What do you understand is the current state, according to the current knowledge of Mr. Jeffrey Tambor, celebrity actor and Arrested Development cast member of the proposed Arrested Development film? Well, fill me in. What did I do? I, I tried to figure it out. It made a lot of noise because there's a I lot know. of people like me who are standing on a fine line, very excited about the prospect of more Arrested Development. Well, first of all, that wonderful actor who does SpongeBob. What's his name? Uh, uh, Tom Kenny. Tom. Uh, uh, said to me, Jeffrey, before we go on with the, and it was a colloquy about Word Girl. Yeah. And and I, I, I is there going to be an Arrested Development movie? Um, and I said, yes. And there was a big huzzah. But earlier. Well, you, you couldn't find a, a house full of more committed comedy nerds than a <laughs> right Citizens Brigade here. And, and uh, but it, previous to that, um, there was a, a reporter who had asked me, oh, what about this Michael Sarah thing? And I think that's what you're referring to. And I said, I will go to Michael Sarah's house and I will pull him out by his hair. <laughs> and like that. But what I didn't know is that there was this scuffle that was going on about Michael Sarah. Well, here's what I, here's the real emis, as we say in Yiddish. The real truth is that we are going to do. Uh, it looks very, very uh, probable. Uh, the script is not finished yet, and when the script uh, is finished, uh, we will go into production. I'm, 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 I'm positive. Have so, you signed any papers or anything? No. I uh, what I have done shook is any I've talked, hands. Uh, I've I've talked to Mitch, who called and said, "Hey, pal, you on board?" And I said, "Absolutely." And uh, Jason and I just had lunch the other day, and you know we're all excited about. It. So everyone to a man is uh, is on board. Did I ever tell you how Oscar was? Uh, uh, no, how could I? There's a no, we met. not. You want to hear how Oscar sure. was invented? We had. A, I had a terrible wig as George Senior. We sometimes we did George Senior younger. So we got. I said I, I demanded this wig. So we got a wig. But when you get a wig, it comes down to your shoulders. Right. So then I I went out onto the. They I had to go outside the makeup to show Mitch, but Mitch was way up top from his office at Raleigh Studios, looking down, and he uh, he looked out and goes, "Let me see it." You know, and so the, they was, and then he said, "Hold it right there," and he called all the writers out on that bridge and said, <laughs> "Just take a look." <laughs> and the next time a script came out, there was Oscar. <laughs> Isn't that cool? That's alchemy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Jeffrey Tambor, such a pleasure and an honor to have you on The Sound of Young America. Thank you so much for uh, coming in here. And not only coming in here, but convincing the security guard working for the shoot of the unit that's going on outside my apartment building right now right. to let you park your car in front of my building. I know. And to, I had to move my own cone. <laughs> that's how my career is going now. I'm moving my own parking cone. Uh, Jeffrey, thank you again for being on The Sound of Young America. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Jeffrey Tambor is offering his workshop for actors and creative people called What's Keeping You? March 21st at the American Film Institute in Los Angeles. You can find out more at jeffreytambor.net. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart, the show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our theme music, written and performed by Dan Grayson, with help from myself, interstitial music provided by Dan Wally. The show edited by Nick White. Our intern is Brian Fernandez. 
You can find us online at MaximumFun.org. And in fact, I insist that you find us online at MaximumFun.org. If you have thoughts about the show, you can either post them in our lively discussion forums or email them to me directly at jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at MaximumFun.org. If you're listening to The Sound of Young America for the first time, I hope you'll take this opportunity to cruise on into your iTunes and subscribe to the podcast for many more awesome shows just like this. All of that having been said, I guess we'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America. <laughs>